Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lynn Testa, and today is Monday, June 18th, 2018. If you're a fan of made-up events like National Hot Dog Day, you're in double luck today because June 18th is both National Picnic Day and National Panic Day. I suppose if you wanted to combine both of those into one Chris McQuanzica-like celebration, you could leave a jar of mayonnaise out in the sun for an hour before eating it on a blanket in the park. Maybe worry about the consequences later. And speaking of consequences later, let's bring in our own Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I like them picnic baskets, (laughs) boo-boo. I could combine picnic day with panic. Just put a real bear with a hat and a tie. And yet I'm just, oh, look, it's Yogi. And oh, he's mauling the children. Yeah, yeah. Go to Yellowstone with some savory foods. See what kind of wildlife comes out. This is a plan, Jim. I'll be in the bear-proof cage. Get some wonderful (laughs) photographs for you, Len, though. Holiday remembrances, they take off your face. (laughs) All right, Jim, as we have said before on this show, every show should begin with self-congratulations. A couple of weeks ago, we did a show on how work had begun at a new DVC property at Fort Wilderness. Literally the next day, it was confirmed by the Orlando Sentinel. That brought us an interesting listener question from Brandon. Brandon says, we're not currently DVC members, but we've been waiting for Fort Wilderness, which might push us over the edge into buying. At what point in development does Disney start selling a DVC property from the time of the announcement? If I remember correctly, Disney didn't acknowledge Bay Lake Tower for some time, even though it was clearly under construction. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think we've talked about this, Jim, where we would ask media relations, hey, what's all that construction going on over by Bay Lake? And the answer we got back was, construction? What construction? <laughs> yeah. If I remember correctly, that was actually one of the keys to Disney starting D23. Because it was just one of these things where they, they were so embarrassed by the fact that clearly something was going on that the fan community was commenting on and they couldn't acknowledge. It's like, we have to start owning our own news. Yeah. And they sort of backfilled in from there. But my understanding is that DVC can't announce the new resorts or a new resort until they've completely sold the inventory of everything that's still under construction. And does that still include what's going on at the Poly and Wilderness Lodge? Is that, is is all that conversion done yet? Well, I think the Poly is done because the Wilderness Lodge has been announced. The Wilderness Lodge Mm -hmm. should be done by the time Caribbean Beach Riviera Resort goes online, which will be next year. I'm anticipating eight months out, nine months out Mm -hmm. from opening, they would probably start doing the announcements. I think that's what happened for the Wilderness Lodge. It was within the same 12-month period as it actually opening, but not three weeks before it opened. So if we're seeing site prep now, what, 18 months? That puts us into early or late 2019, early 2020. Yeah, I don't think there's any way that this thing at Fort Wilderness could be opened before 2020. Simply too many mm-hmm. other other moving parts. Maybe even late okay. 2020 or 2021. So I would mm-hmm. expect to see an announcement maybe two years from now, a little less than two years from now, about okay. the, uh, the DVC, okay. which gives Brendan enough time to start saving up. Oh, God, yeah. Every night, take the change out of your pockets. In fact, wander to the neighborhood while everyone else is sleeping and take their change. <laughs> take their change as well. Take the change out of their pockets as well. You're going to need it. It's a savings plan I think we can all get behind, Jim. Jim, I know for our main segment today, we wanted to talk about new details of the Harry Potter coaster over at Universal. But before we do that, let's go over a couple of housekeeping and news items. First, mm-hmm. I think we were all anticipating, and by all I mean no one, anticipating mm-hmm. the new Donald's Dino Bash 
at Disney's Animal Kingdom opening up in Dinoland. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, on the heels of the new Wings of Wonder or whatever it is featuring the Up characters. I mean, this is all about bringing as many characters as possible into that park is that remains the one guest complaint about Animal Kingdom, that they love the actual animals, but to be honest, they come to Orlando to hang out with the sweaty teenagers in the suits. So, But again, I was just kind of intrigued that they went with the Duck family on this one. Well, the premise is that Donald Duck has just learned that ducks have evolved from dinosaurs. So the common theory of evolution right now is that all birds evolved from dinosaurs. In fact, there's some evidence that dinosaurs had either scales or feathers. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so Donald is celebrating this in Dinoland. By the way, the mechanics of how this works is this. There are different stations within Dinoland where you can do different character greetings. So in one, there is Donald and Daisy. In others, there are characters from DuckTales. It's Scrooge McDuck, and who's the guy that's the pilot? Launchpad McQuack. Launchpad oh, come Mc- on, the yeah. greatest crasher of all time. So it starts at 10 a.m. Launchpad McQuack, Scrooge McDuck, and Goofy are at the Boneyard, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. intermittently. Obviously, they need time for breaks. Mm-hmm. Daisy, Donald, and Goofy are 10 a.m. to roughly 5.30 p.m., just outside of uh, Dinorama. And then uh, Chip and Dale in dinosaur costumes between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., again, intermittently. There's also a nightly dance party starting at 4 p.m., going until 8 p.m., All of this, of course, is weather permitting because there aren't indoor facilities to do much of this. If we could double back for a second to Chippendale and dinosaur costumes, is there any way to to nominate a cast member for combat pay? Because (laughs) the Chippendale costume is hot enough as is. I mean, it's brown, so it's absorbing all of the Florida sun. And to then put a costume on top of that costume... I went yesterday. It was the first 95-degree day of the year in Orlando. And at 4 o'clock, the pavement's got to be 105, 106 degrees. And these guys are out there just, or gals, whoever it is, are just out there as happy as can be, interacting with fans and being super, super happy about all of it. I'm like, you're inside a costume, inside another costume. You're like the turducken of... Disney costumed characters here. How are you enthusiastic? I'm wearing shorts and slathered in sunscreen. I'm pouring water on myself and I'm still miserable. You're better people than me. You're better people than me. If I had to wear that outfit, they would have to pose the children next to my prostate body on the ground. It's just, you know, look, Chip's taking a nap. Why don't you join him? Chip is just sleeping. He's just sleeping. There you go. But the good thing about it is that among preschool and grade school children, Mm-hmm. Character greetings are at the very top of the things that they want to do. If you look at, uh, if you rank every ride, every show, every character greeting, every parade and fireworks in Walt Disney World from one to 300 or whatever it is, character greetings, parades and fireworks are always at the top of that list. They're way more popular than any individual ride. And this is a way of Disney enabling more character greetings in the Animal Kingdom. Not only that, but some some fairly rare characters. Launchpad McQuack is... I think a uh, not a common character to uh, to see, so that's good as well. Yep, I admire them shoehorning them in, and the interesting thing is, when you're there at these new up themed aviation show mm-hmm. and the Dinorama Duck Festival, if you want a Zootopia attraction, look for the people with the clipboards, okay? Because they're actually out there this summer gathering oh. data and getting guest reaction and that sort of thing, and. From what I've been hearing, a couple of people have already been pulled into focus groups. Really? Know, the effective. 
Well, you know, just the whole notion of we are thinking of adding an additional character component. It's the classic Disney survey where you sort of lay out the three alternatives that you don't want to really build, you know, Carl Fredrickson's retirement home. Yeah. And no balloons. Yeah. Are you interested in the dentist office from Finding Nemo, the Cave of Wonders from Aladdin, or, you know, Zootopia? Something like that, right? There you go. And it's, oh, hey, look, they want Zootopia. So, yes, this is, there's a lot of pigs in the python mm-hmm. right now. In fact, yeah. to circle back on self-congratulatory stuff. Did you see where Disney just in the past week admitted that the plot that we've been talking about off of a world ride to the south of the city is, is in fact where the Star Wars hotel is going to be built? I did see that. And I, I figured that was so well known as to be obvious at this point. And they said it was actually going to be south of the road. We had originally speculated that that's where it might go mm-hmm. based on construction. But for them to confirm that, that's interesting. So how are you going to get people from the hotel into Galaxy's Edge seamlessly when there's a road there? That's an interesting question. You can't tunnel it. It's the water table's too too high. The interstellar version of the Hogwarts Express line. That's all I'm going to say. I was going to go with catapults, but I think I like your, oh, your well, thing better. There Jim. may be some assembly required <laughs> once you land, but you know. <laughs> Speaking of uh, new things, Jim, I took Hannah, my daughter, for her birthday to the Magic Kingdom on Saturday. We saw mm-hmm. Happily Ever After again. I hadn't seen it in a few months. I am reminded of how good a show that is. We stood a little bit to the right of the center hub. It is a fantastic show to watch. Hannah loved it. The show is just so incredibly detailed. I swear there are things that I see every time I I watch that show that I hadn't seen previously. And half the time I'm, I'm wondering, did I just miss this the first 18 times I saw it? Or have they added something new to it? It's an amazing show. It's really, really good. Happened to be there on Saturday, which was also, I believe, the Magic Kingdom Day for Orlando's annual Gay Days celebration. So not only was everyone packed in the park all day, but we were surrounded by Rainbow Pride hats. And this was also interesting. Could you remember like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when mm-hmm. gay, gay Days was happening? Disney's always embraced you know, Gay Days. But back in the day, you would occasionally see these announcements to guest inquiries like, you know, if you wrote in, you said, you know, I don't know what this gay days thing is. What is it? And you wrote in Disney. They would say, look, it's an unsanctioned event. It's not an official event. It's run by fans. Everyone's welcome in the park. But it was sort of like we can ne- neither promote nor condemn this particular event. They were sort of taking a hands-off approach. But you walk into the Magic Kingdom now, and they've got the widest selection of Rainbow Pride memorabilia and food that you could ever want. I mean, there were everything from rainbow themed Rice Krispie cookies to some of the best designed Mickey ears that I've ever seen. I mean, just super popular. They can't keep them on the shelves. And it's just, it's amazing to see how much attitudes towards this have changed. Cause you, you remember you've been there in the past, right? Remember there was that, oh, that yeah. lunatic guy that would like skywrite something about sin over the magic kingdom on gay days. And that doesn't happen anymore. It's much more relaxed. It's a, it's a great event. Anyway. And the one thing I honestly miss about the early versions of Gay Day was that now that Disney is so inclusive and so embracing of this community and, and you know, there's money to be had. So, yes, Rainbow from Mickey ears. Let's, let's get on that right now. Yeah. But on those years where it's like, again, we can either con- confirm or deny. You know, yeah. just But it was the cast members who really made it work. Yeah. I basically had friends in entertainment said, if you ever want to see the best Disney parade of your entire life, go on Gay Day. Oh my God, the parade was fantastic. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 
I don't even like the afternoon parade, and it was fantastic. I mean, it was yeah. Well, that's the thing. You you've got all of these people who are performing for their people, and so it's like you have stilt walkers who normally walk down the street, and again, it's 105 degrees. It's a, hello, how are you? Good to yeah. see you. On Gay Pride Day, they are literally kick lines, you know, and it just you know, in fact, <laughs> the, the safety people are like, I, I don't think that it's a good idea, guys. But no, you yeah. get such an amazing parade, like I said, such I, an amazing. I'm job. not a huge fan of the afternoon parade. I think that much exertion in the heat is best left mm-hmm. to athletes, of which I am mm-hmm. not one. But that was an amazing parade. Also, it helped that I was standing in a crowd of people who knew literally every word to the song and was they were actually doing the choreography as the performers were passing like they, i mean they had to be cast members right they had to be because wow. no one no one knows that that parade that well it was it was really a lot of fun of course i was standing on main street into the shade as i was doing mm-hmm. it so that may have helped my impression of it too but yeah it was fantastic it was just a great day we ended up getting some last minute fast passes as well so i mean the whole even though it was really really crowded didn't feel like oppressive it was uh it was great it's a great day to be in the park a lot of fun cool also over the weekend because it was my daughter's birthday she wanted to eat literally at every single place we went. So we had a superior dinner at the Boathouse. Shout out to everybody at Boathouse for that dinner mm-hmm. Friday night. We also had dessert at Amaretz. And let me just say, Jim, when we went to the Magic Kingdom, I'll give you the list of places we ate in six hours. Are you ready for this? Casey's Corner, Lunching Pad, Pecos Bills, Gaston's for the cinnamon mm-hmm. roll, a cart for Mickey ice cream, Oh, Tortuga Tavern, because it had never been open for a previous trip that Hannah had been on. And then we ended up at Cosmic Rays, where they finally opened up the new outdoor seating. So seven meals in seven and a half hours. I stopped eating after the third one. I'm like, what are we doing here, Hannah? What? And the kid weighs like 97 pounds. I don't know where the food goes. I don't know where the food goes. There's an alternate dimension. It goes there. There. Saving it for those days at college where it's nothing but ramen. It must be. It must be. She was like getting ready to hibernate or something. But uh, but interestingly, mm-hmm. on restaurants, I went to Ohana on Sunday. And here's why. We got some reader feedback about uh, Ohana. Remember, you and I talked about how the new alcohol and specialty drink component of the dining plan has extended out the time it takes to turn a table over in a restaurant, right? So it had gone from roughly an hour to an hour 15 or an hour and a half, right? Because the servers have to now explain the drinks in the dining plan and get orders and there's a lot of back and forth, right? So what we heard from readers was that Disney was trying to make up this difference by bringing out food faster. And the concern that they had was, uh, cut a couple of letters, that at Ohana, Mm -hmm. this food was coming out particularly fast. So we went on Sunday. First of all, let me say, Jim, that dinner at Ohana Begins on Sunday at 3.35 p.m. Dinner, which is fine. Most people call that brunch. I don't, Mm -hmm. but you know, Florida's a different culture. So whatever. So we we sit down and we were sort of in the the first group of people. And for kicks, I had a stopwatch going that timed when each course came out. So a minute and 57 seconds after we sat down, the first course came out, which was the salad. Mm -hmm. Exactly two minutes after that, the second course came out, and that was the dumplings, the noodles, the vegetables, and the chicken wings, which are really, really good if you've had the chicken wings before. Four minutes after that, the steak came out. Four minutes after that, the chicken came out. Four minutes after that, the shrimp came out. We had one of everything literally within 33 minutes of sitting down. We had seconds of everything within 50 minutes 
of sitting down. Conceivably, though, if we didn't want seconds, we could have actually finished the entire meal with dessert inside of 45 minutes. Dear Lord, was the staff on roller skates? I it, mean, it, it's prompt. I'll give you that. And that's, that's by the way, mm-hmm. that's with them still running the coconut broom race with the kids that they run. And then that was still with all of that happening. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm, I'm of two minds of this thing. There were instances when Hannah was young or when my, my nieces were growing up where you've got a child who needs to eat immediately. And in those cases, you're getting food within two minutes of sitting down would have been a godsend. Like I would have written a check to whoever that server was right then, right? That's an automatic, you know, 100% tip or whatever because they recognize that. But then there are times where, you know, where you don't have kids and I don't necessarily need to have a new piece of food or a new plate or a new dish every four minutes. So I'm, I'm kind of, of of two minds of this. And I'd love to hear some listener feedback about whether finishing a meal at Ohana in 45 minutes is a good or a bad thing. And granted, we stayed for an hour, right? We had, we had seconds. Mm-hmm. We kind of like talked afterwards. We never felt rushed to leave. But by the time our hour was up, I would say a good two-thirds of the tables around us had already left and they were getting ready mm-hmm. to turn those over again. You mentioned the coconut race, the kids with the clubs knocking down. The, so you, that actually happened while you were there at the restaurant? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the singing, the dancing, the competitions, all of that still happened. It just happened fairly quickly within, within 45 minutes to an hour. So I guess the good thing is, is that they're like character greetings. No matter mm-hmm. how long you're going to take, Disney's going to do their best to make sure that you get to see the entire rotation of characters during your meal. Similarly, I think they're trying to do what Ohana is, is to make sure that you get the singing, the dancing, and the coconut races all within your meal. Didn't Whispering Canyon over at Wilderness Lodge, they're known for the somewhat zany atmosphere. Yep. And didn't they just con- discontinue that stuff because supposedly because of guest complaints? Or Here's the difference, though. Remember, Ohana mm-hmm. isn't anywhere near rooms. Whereas Whispering Canyon is at the bottom of a lobby on top of which actual guest rooms are stacked. And I've actually stayed in those rooms. In fact, I stayed Mm -hmm. in a room overlooking the lobby the night before my first Walt Disney World marathon. And let me tell you, Mm -hmm. you're waking up at 2.30 in the morning for those marathons. At 10.30 at night, I could still hear people Mm -hmm. singing happy birthday downstairs. And that was not a good experience. Okay. So I understand I understand Whispering Canyon, you know, knocking off mm-hmm. the, the zany antics. All right. I'll get that now. I just thought if, if they shut it down there, it would stand a reason they'd do the same thing at Ohana. But no, no, that's an excellent observation. On the other hand, it's just sort of like, oh, great. Like, now that I go to Ohana, I can once again get hit in the ankles. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's always a bonus. Jim, we, uh, we've also got several listener questions uh, or requests for more survey data around restaurants. Remember, we did our show about Disney Springs. They're asking mm-hmm. for more about the Disney resorts. Let's do that on an up- upcoming episode, okay? Okay, cool. All right, one more quick thing before we talk about Harry Potter coaster. Jim, there's some evidence of soft hotel demand for the second half of the year. So Disney's announced, or they've said to the investment community, that hotel bookings are down roughly 8%. Uh, future bookings are down roughly 8% for the rest of 2018. I've also spoken to some large travel agencies who are indicating that year-to-date sales are flat or slightly down for the year. What do you make of this, Jim? When I talk with folks on the travel side of thing, they basically point to Galaxy's Edge. The problem is that it's one of these things where it's like, do you really want to go to the Walt Disney World Resort or to Disneyland before Batu opens to the public? Or right. do you want to hold off? And in fact, the holiday period before Disney's California Adventure opened back in 2001, mm-hmm. that was when Cynthia Harris, they were systematically watching the attendance at the park just go on this slide 
as soon as Labor Day ended. Because people were like, look, I'm saving my pennies. Your new thing opens in a couple of months. You know, why should I come and miss that? So that was actually when they decided to try to do the snowing on Main Street thing for the Mm. first time. And, And in fact, Cynthia told me this wonderful story about you know, she's standing there at three o'clock in the morning and they're all exhausted and the technicians are working on the rooftops. Like, when are you guys going to start this? Cause, and then suddenly the holiday music kicks in and the soap starts coming down all over the street and everybody starts to kind of weep because it's like, oh, this is so pretty. And it's like, yeah. that to me, I think is the issue. You know, the, part of the problem is there's so much construction going on right now. Yeah. It's just sort of like, why should I go to Epcot? Ratatouille isn't open, or Guardians of the Galaxy isn't open, or go to the studios. In fact, that's one of the reasons why you're seeing this wall-to-wall campaign for Toy Story Land at that park. And and I think, as you and I have discussed, it's like, well, this is really basically two attractions. I mean, two wonderfully themed attractions, but it, it's two attractions. And, and now on a new back door to mm-hmm. Toy Story Mania. I was talking with an imaginator who worked on the project, and I said, so are you guys especially on the heels of Galaxy's Edge and what they're anticipating for crowds? Are you looking to expand capacity for Toy Story Land? He said, look, the expansion pad that we have in Toy Story Land, we're using for stroller parking. (laughs) For now, yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. So the thing is, that stroller parking is some of the most valuable real estate in all of Walt Disney World right now. I'm glad that they're thinking that far ahead for it, though. Because when those crowds come, it's going to be it's going to be insane. But the thing is, now if you look for the fall, there's all kinds of DVC occupancy. There are also fairly wide open cast member discounts for rooms, which is typically the first one of the first signs of future sales to come. I wonder if we'll see more deals or more discounts, maybe from late summer through Easter of next year, because it'll start ramping up again next year, right? The studios will have at some point Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway opening. Um, they will. And obviously they will. they're probably going to start right like right after Easter. They're probably going to start with, sorry, I take that back. Probably with fall, full start mm-hmm. ramping up the Galaxy's Edge stuff. And, and frankly, I don't think they're going to have to do anything for a Galaxy's Edge promo. No. I mean, I think just the word of mouth is going to be strong enough. That'll sell it. But that said, again, talking to the folks who work on booking vacations and that sort of thing, the noise that they made when it was like, and we're opening in late 2019, which could be December. Not happy. So the the super interesting thing is tomorrow, the 19th, is when Disney releases its 2019 hotel rack rates for dates through the end of 2019. So through December 31st, 2019, that will include the opening of Galaxy's Edge. Any predictions, Jim, on what the Epcot Resort rates are going to be the last week of December? (laughs) Oh, I believe the phrase you're looking for is one arm and one leg. I was going to say, it's got a picture here of two appendages and is, is that a spleen? I can't quite make it. This PDF isn't full resolution here, but oh my God. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, uh, okay. of other things that are uh, going to be in huge demand, apparently Universal is going to open its Harry Potter coaster next year. Yes, Jim? Yep. All right, let's take a quick break. We will come back and we'll talk about that. And we're back. All right, James. So construction is not only happening in Walt Disney World, but over at Universal, they have their own super headliner roller coaster going in. This is the thing that replaced 
uh, was originally Dragon's Dueling Challenge. Dragon Challenge, then Dueling Dragons. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about this, Jim, is that Universal is keeping announcements around this ride super, super secret. But apparently, an insider had leaked information about how the ride is going to work to, I guess, for money? That's the story. How, how, how did we find out about this, Jim? It popped up online as a, a video presentation over this past weekend. And as I was telling Glenn earlier, as soon as I saw it and understanding that the difference between Walt Disney Imagineering and Universal Creative, the, the folks who do the stuff for the theme parks at Universal, it's a much smaller team. I mean, it's a really tiny group of people. Oh, yeah. We're talking like three, four people at a time on a, on a particular project, yeah. right? Yeah. And so... In a situation like this where it wasn't just a leak, it was the whole ride. I mean, you know, from individual show moments to what the track vehicle would do, it was just kind of startling that there was this much info out there all of a sudden. And all I could think of when I'm looking at this is someone is going to lose their job. And sure enough, they did. But for me, the weird part of it is, is look, we've all known for years now, that whenever Universal would survey about expanding Harry Potter, mm-hmm. it's like, what would you like to see? And every time on the survey, there would be some variation on exploring the Forbidden Forest. So it's not really a surprise that this coaster is a race through the Forbidden Forest, but what's kind of cool about it is just the number of show scenes they've managed to cram in. Or the horticulture staff there... They've committed to the idea is when you come around the corner and begin to march down the hill there to get to the the load platform for this Dragon Challenge attraction, Mm -hmm. you're looking out at a forest. My understanding is the way they're trying to plant a lot of the trees is that you'll be looking at a forest and every so often, though, you'll see this ride vehicle sort of loom up out of the forest and then disappear down. Because that's sort of the way that the movies play out, right? That it's Mm -hmm. weaving in and out. The interesting thing that I found from listening to this sort of take on new ride is that it's an outdoor ride but with indoor show scenes like dark ride show scenes interspersed in it so isn't the first scene once you leave the building supposed to be where you see the weasley's car flying car yeah now that's going to be an outside effect i want to say there's the three individual show scenes that are inside of quote-unquote show buildings that you run into but Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Weasley's car will actually sort of, you know, as you pull out of the station, it'll come out of the woods and sort of honk and greet you and tootle alongside you before you continue deeper into the forest. Right, but that brings up an interesting point. that this is, It's this combination indoor-outdoor ride, I think, mm-hmm. that we, we haven't seen much of in Orlando, have we? No, and you bring up the interesting point of, again, this is Orlando, home of the 3 o'clock rainstorm. Yeah. You'll get soggy yeah. in a rainstorm walking over to escape from Gringotts or... Forbidden Journey, but something like this, where it's a coaster that actually goes outside. Oh, I've ridden Dragon Challenge in the rain, Jim. And let me tell you, Uh, that is an experience. If you've ever been on a motorcycle in the rain, it's exactly like that. In fact, the only two coasters I've ever ridden in a a torrential downpour were Dragon Challenge at Universal and this thing called Nemesis at Alton Towers in the UK. And both times, it was like somebody putting a fire hose on your face painful it was like bee stings for two and a half minutes yeah. <laughs> it was but the thing is is everybody on that ride knew that they were insane to mm-hmm. go on those rides in the thunderstorm so we all had this shared sense of camaraderie 
like, hey, we're complete idiots. Let's do something stupid together. And we did. It was memorable, but man, it hurt. Wow. Back to, and again, we don't have the official name yet. In fact, my, my understanding is it is an action verb, though, in much the same way as Forbidden Journey or Escape from Gringotts. So it's something, the Forbidden Forest, you know, Race to the Forbidden Forest, something to that effect. But you're supposedly in the pre-show being told, use this system to venture to Hagrid's Cottage, which introduces an interesting question because the flying hippogriff, as you walk through the queue of that, you actually pass Hagrid's Cottage. So maybe this is Hagrid's summer villa we're going to. Not entirely sure there, but there's a show scene in that space that you know Hagrid is showing off a creature to you that is startled and that's the moment where you're sort of shot out of a cannon and we begin your high-speed trip through the forest i will give the person who leaked this at universal some credit a lot of the individual lesser animated set pieces they didn't bring up a forbidden forest they talk mostly about the stuff that are in the three show buildings I think at one point you encounter Fluffy, the Cerberus-like dog that was guarding the key that you could get for the Sorcerer's Stone. Okay. And then there's a moment where you are entangled in this vegetation from the Sorcerer's Stone. But again, it's you're supposedly ensnared in this material, and a spell breaks free. And what's especially intriguing about this moment of attraction is you are on a ride vehicle, you're on a, what appears to be a standard coaster, Oh, you're talking about the Devil's Snare? Devil's Snare, there we go. And when you're released from the Devil's Snare, your vehicle actually plummets to the ground, or so it feels like. Uh, drops on about 20 or 30 feet, but it's actually a platform that falls faster than gravity. That sounds promising, Jim. <laughs> this has been since 94 with Tower of Terror. If you want to frighten people... Yeah. They know what gravity is, yeah. and it's like, hey, we're going a little faster. Yeah. You mentioned that, and I think that particular aspect's already been confirmed. So it's an Intamin coaster, the, the manufacturer's Intamin, but apparently they'll be using electric engines or electric motors to propel you. There won't be the traditional sort of lift hills that we see on, on most other coasters. That's how the propulsion is going to happen. So, so you're right on that point, I think. One of the reasons you do that is that that sort of system is so much more quiet, and with the fact that you're trying to do a coaster here with at least three show scenes, you need to actually be able to hear the dialogue. So it's very ambitious. The cranes are looming over the site right now. They're going to try to get all of the buildings built and enclosed by August, and then trying to also get some of the bigger pieces of track in place before the fall. And then it's a race between the, the track installation people mm -hmm. and horticulture. The very fact that, you know, getting that many, you know, that many trees. trees planned, yeah. yeah, trees, right? Yeah. 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 No, it's going to be it's going to be a wonderful addition and Universal it is going to have a quite a bit of fun, you know, it, I was actually talking with somebody on the PR side of things and they were like because Batu won't open at Disney World Till the fall, there's already been some talk about, well, you, you can't go to Batu, but you can go to the Forbidden Forest. Oh, you think it'll be open summer or fall before uh, Galaxy's Edge? Uh, yeah, they, they want to have it open no later than Memorial Day. Wow, that's a lot of work to get done in the next... Uh, it month. is, it Ooh. is. They have also announced that for the summer of 2019, we will be getting our T2 3D replacement show. 
Really, for all of this in the next 11 months. The thing about Universal Creative is that it's such a small team that yeah. they can move that much faster than yeah. Disney. Fewer Again, committees, I mean, fewer, uh, easier to make decisions. I'm just trying to figure out how you get a forest to grow in 11 months. I think we should drug test those trees. I would, <laughs> it's like Lance Armstrong, horticulturist. I think I, I don't, I don't know, but we'll see what happens there, Jim. Remember talking with the, the horticulture guys at one point, and they're the second or third meeting when you decide okay. you're going right. to do an attraction like this. And Essica, okay, what are you going to need? And what's our envelope of protection? How f close do we want guests getting to the trees and right. that sort of thing? And okay. Then they get clever. I mean, for example, I remember when they were working on Seuss's Landing, and it was the notion of well, where are we going to get curved trees? Because there isn't a straight angle on all of Seuss's Landing. Right. And then the park is still three and four years out when Hurricane Andrew happens. Mm -hmm. So you had all of these trees that were knocked down and bent and twisted by the hurricane. And, and exactly. And they, and they collected this amazing forest of things which eventually got planted and were there when the park opened in 1999. But I would imagine, given that the Forbidden forest project has been in the works for at least four years at this point figuring out how to set up this forest in such a way that people can actually get in there after hours or in the early morning hours and do the necessary trims yeah it's it's going to be a fascinating component of this project but again they want to have that open by may of next year i am very excited to see that happening it'll be good to have more stuff open throughout all of 2019 it looks to be a, a promising year for all of orlando's theme parks all right, folks, we're going to wrap up our show then. Don't forget, we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes or Stitcher or in your own copy of Powers You Never Knew You Had and What to Do With Them Now You've Wised Up. And write a review of our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.